You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today, we've got my buddy, Kevin David. It was a really romantic thing. We met on Clubhouse and yeah, and then we met in person in Miami of all places. And yeah, Kevin does a lot of amazing things. He's got software. He's got a ton of content that he creates and just all around great entrepreneur. So Kevin, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it, bro. It's good to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about kind of all the things that you're working on right now, your main focus is because it's hard to keep track with all the stuff you got. Yeah. So, I mean, so like I kind of, as I became an entrepreneur, I started to figure out what I wanted to do and what I did. And I think at the beginning, like everyone just kind of like wants to make enough money to do whatever they want. Right. Like, I mean, there's a great book called the second mountain, which kind of talks about how like climbing the first mountain means like financial freedom where you can like, you know, not have to do things you don't want to do. And then the second mountain is, is much higher and much more difficult to climb, which talks about, you know, ultimately finding your purpose and your mission in life. And for me, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of get to the first mountain relatively quickly. And, you know, I was making more from kind of my my side hustle and selling stuff on Amazon than I was making at my job at Facebook, you know, within the first few months of doing it. And then after that, I was kind of like, okay, what now? And so, you know, for me, I I kind of evolved from, you know, e-commerce. Well, actually I failed a bunch and then e-commerce started to work. And then from e-com, you know, I created a YouTube channel and we have, you know, close to one and a half million subscribers on that and, you know, millions of followers across other social media. But I mean, it, it all started on, I remember still January 13th of 2017. So a little over four years ago is when I first published my first YouTube video in my like random room that I rented on Craigslist in Denver, Colorado. And it was like snowing outside. I still remember that. And so, you know, all of that stuff kind of evolved chronologically, It just seemed like the logical next step. But nowadays what I spend most of my time doing is, is running my software companies. I own three software companies. And then we also create content that we publish, you know, on all major social media, TikTok and YouTube and Instagram and all of that fun stuff. Got it. That's awesome. So in four short years, you have a massive audience now doing over eight figures a year, right? And so it sounds like you also made the transition to from e-commerce. You're still doing e-commerce, but it's now e-commerce software, right? So what happened to all your e-commerce businesses? Yeah. So I mean, so kind of how things work in life generally, at least for me, but I assume for other people too, is you like start out and you try a bunch of stuff and then you kind of realize that you can't do all of those things well. I mean, you start to consolidate on the things that work and like double down, right? Especially, you know, people who kind of figure that out quickly, you know, you can't do a bunch of things well, you can really only do one or a couple of things well. And so we shut down a lot of the smaller stores that just like kind of weren't worth our time. And we concentrated like more effort and time and energy into the stores that were actually, you know, working. And so, you know, from what was once, you know, eight plus, Amazon stores and Shopify and all these different things. Now we really only own, you know, two, but they do more revenue than the rest of the other ones combined. And so, you know, we consolidated those, we, you know, put people in place to actually run the day-to-day operations of those. And then, you know, now I spend pretty much all of my time on software and, and, you know, growth and conversion and retention and churn and all of those fun things that come along with running a software company. Amazing. So with the software businesses, did you buy these companies or did you start them all three of them from the ground up? I started all three of them from the ground up. So I mean, like, so I had these big course businesses, right, where we were getting like, you know, thousands of people like that were, you know, buying the courses, 
joining the free courses, you know, on Udemy, on through ClickFunnels, through ads, through organic social media on YouTube. And we were getting all these students. And so, you know, what I kind of noticed was I was like the number one affiliate for Jungle Scout and for these big softwares for Amazon and things that I was teaching, you know, by a lot. And so I was like, well, why would I only get half of the money and build zero of the equity versus just building, you know, some better version of these, you know, software programs that I already knew I could sell. And so, you know, I, a long time ago, I just kind of figured that out. And then I started building, you know, my own versions that had better features, more accuracy, things that I knew, you know, my students wanted from having talked to them about what features were missing and things like that. And, you know, it just seemed logical. And so I didn't know how to build software. I didn't know how to do any of that, but I just kind of figured it out. I love that. And Jungle Scout. So I'm just looking at their crunch base right now, over 110 million bucks raised, right? So it's serious. So, you know, what you're doing too, I mean, I think it's, we don't hear these stories enough, right? I think there's the people that have the courses and then they end up starting stores. But I think the toughest thing is making their transition over to software because you have to think about things such as, you know, churn, you have to think about MRR, AR, all that type of stuff, right? ARPU, right? All these like SaaS terms, right? And so how did you make that transition? Because I think it's a different mindset too, right? I think if you're selling courses, like your churn is like, we're talking 15 to 35% a month, it's huge. And it's hard to build a sustainable business that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, it seemed like a logical transition to me because like, for me, Amazon was never like the end game. Like it doesn't bring me like passion and fulfillment, like selling a random thing on Amazon, right? Like it brings money and money allows me to do what I want. And that ultimately brings me fulfillment. And so that's when I kind of transitioned into teaching because teaching always has been a passion of mine. Like I would have been like a professor if professors didn't get paid so terribly. (laughs) And so, you know, I wanted to try to find like a happy medium between teaching, which I love to do, but earning like, you know, at least a reasonable level of money that like I, I wanted to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. And so that's when courses happen. And then, you know, I really started to fall in love with software ever since I was like a little kid. I always wanted to start a startup, but I never like had the confidence, I guess, or like the idea, the confidence in my idea to really like move forward with that. And so I feel like I was pretty fortunate to do things in the way that I did them. I wouldn't have changed anything. Right. Because now whenever I do launch a software, I have this, you know, millions and millions of people just on my email list alone. Right. And and then, you know, millions on YouTube and millions on Instagram and, and Facebook. And so when you have that type of audience, that you've added so much value to teaching them for years, anything that you launch is ultimately going to be successful. And so I did what I do with everything in life. When I want to you know, learn something, I obsess over it. I find who the smartest people are at it. I find the books that the smartest people have written and I absorb them. I digest it into my own kind of like beautiful you know, organization inside of Google Docs in the form of notes. And then I just implement like an actual psychopath. Got it. I love that. And so just for, because this is actually a big chunk of this audience is SaaS entrepreneurs and and marketers, right? So for those that are kind of just starting right now, I mean, what are some starting resources? I mean, you can definitely say like Saster or whatever. I'm I'm just curious, what did you read? Yeah. So what I read and, and what was best for me particularly, I mean, there's like the classic books, right? Like the lean startup and stuff like that. But the book non-intuitively that helped me a lot was called Measure What Matters. It talked about, you know, creating key results and, and kind of organizing your thoughts and measuring things and you only improve what you measure and stuff like that. But I mean, some more particular resources. I read everything that Paul Graham from Y Combinator has ever written, like literally everything. And then I read everything that Sam Altman has ever written. I read everything that Andrew Chen has ever written. You know, there's some other kind of growth specific stuff, like, you know, the growth head of Pinterest, the growth head of of Facebook and Uber. I had him on my podcast. And so, you know, you get better and better. And what you'll find is if you find really like one really strong resource, generally that resource 
resource recommends other resources. And so it's kind of like this like never ending net of recommendations. <laughs> it gets a little bit stressful, right? Because there's like a balance of, you know, how much do you learn? And then when do you start to implement, right? And I think a lot of people kind of are on the tipping point of that balance, like more towards the learning forever. So you have to set like a deadline for yourself. But even with basic resources like the Lean Startup and, and Paul Graham alone, like that's more than you need to get started. I love that. And so I think, you know, it's people get scared, right? People, I think for me, like, or just looking at you, you've continually evolved over time, right? And looking at what you have going on right now, you have people running the e-commerce businesses and then you're focused on the software, you're focused on content creation. So I guess I'm wondering, you know, if we look at how you make your money right now, if you put it into a pie chart, how would that look? And I also, then I want to figure out or, or dig deeper into how the whole operation works. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, so I, I was interviewing this woman who like this incredible woman on my podcast the other day that sold her, her company for a billion dollars cash. And she had a different exit, which was like crazy as well. And she talked about how, like, I asked her kind of the same question, like, how do you run all of these different things? And she said that like her secret was to give people skin in the game. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean any particular thing. Like it can be, you know, stock options that vest on a four year schedule with a one year cliff. It can be profit sharing. It can be anything. Right. But you have to give people a reason to care or they won't. And so, like, I've learned and I've heard that reiterated by so many successful people that all of my businesses over the years, like, for example, one of the software companies I run, the CEO gets 50 percent of the profit right he, he has 5% equity so not that much he does 100% of the work right for 5% of the equity and 50% of the profit and some people would be like oh my god that's crazy right cuz you're paying him ultimately like six figures a month which is like a ridiculous salary right but he does all the work so it's like for me i'd rather make 50% of the money and have like the 95% of the equity cuz i don't at this point in my career and in my life right like cash flow and money it's great right but it's not something that i like require and so in my life, right, you know, e-commerce, affiliate marketing, you know, YouTube revenue, digital courses, consulting, software, all of these things make up, you know, the majority of my income, of course, with software and, and digital courses being the kind of leaders of those. And so what I figured out over the years is you have to find the right people, you have to measure the right things, and you have to give people incentives and skin in the game for them to actually care. Yeah. And, you know, we we're talking about a little bit ago, how Charlie Munger, we were talking about how great he is. And, you know, the thing he says all the time is show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Right. And I, I don't think enough entrepreneurs think about how to incentivize. So, I mean, giving 50%, especially if you come from like the internet marketing world, that's unheard of, right? They typically don't like sharing profits. Right. But I think there's trade-offs, right? Like you say, Hey, I'm going to give you 50% profits right now. You're just, you hold 95% of the equity. You're going to build enterprise value. And that's a very long-term type of mindset. So did you have any, have to make any adjustments to your mindset? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, no, I mean, so my mindset is heavily dictated by what I read, right? Like what you like surround yourself with is ultimately like how you start to think, which is what, you know, you and I were kind of talking about when you're on my podcast and it's so true, right? Like, so with things that I don't fully understand, like I just trust the right people. And I think that that's good advice. If you find the right people that are trustable, that have like verified results and things like that. And so, you know, to me, like I would give the CEO a hundred percent of the profit. I don't care. Right. Because ultimately I know that, you know, our software companies are worth right now, you know, 30 to $50 million just, you know, based on the actual equity that we've built. And so sacrificing the short term for the long term can hurt for some people, but, you know, luckily I've been in kind of a four fortunate situation where, you know, we've been able to kind of build up these other income streams that provide like the kind of daily money that we need. And, you know, I don't live, I mean, 
besides like where I live, like my actual house, I live like a really basic lifestyle. I eat Chipotle like six times a week. <laughs> I go to the gym at my building. I, you know, for the most part, I drive a moped. I just sold my car because I just don't like having a car. And so, you know, I live a really like inexpensive lifestyle. And I think if you can do that and you can be happy, right, that's kind of a key to being able to not spend that much, not need that much and have a longer term mindset. Yeah. So I love what you're saying. And by the way, like, you know, there's people in tech that are poo-pooing on people that have courses. And to me, if you have courses or e-commerce store or whatever, that to me is that's your angel check every single year, right? That's your funding mechanism. And that's what that's like, that's the cash flow you need. Everything else, it's just like then you can afford to give 50, 100 percent whatever. And I just let most people don't think like that, right? So I want people to understand that. Yeah, I mean, you know, someone's always gonna hate you, right? It doesn't like so so living your life or making decisions about like what somebody somewhere that has no impact on you is going to do. I mean, Jeff Bezos said, you know, if you want no one to hate you, you know, do nothing, say nothing and be nothing, right? Like if you want no one to hate you, open an ice cream store. And so, you know, no matter what you do, whether it's tech or courses or e-com or whatever, someone's always going to say that you're nothing. Somebody's always going to say it was lucky or you're a scammer or you're fake or whatever. And so it's just part of going along. It's a part of, you know, putting yourself out there is people who are going to try to drag you down. I mean, if you look at like the Twitter comments on like, like no, totally normal, like friendly, awesome people, it's absolutely insane. Like what some people say to, you know, people that are just genuinely trying to help others and, and add value. And so, you know, having a thick skin or at least understanding like where people are coming from and why they're saying certain things, it's just kind of part of the game. And if you can't handle it, then maybe creating content and being online and putting yourself out there is just not for you. Yep. Totally with you there. So a couple more questions from my side, your audiences right now. So on YouTube, you've got over a million, right? Can you give us a breakdown of kind of how your, your big audiences look? And then we could talk about how you actually grew them. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, my biggest resources, and if you talk to most, you know, people that have big personal followings, they'll kind of tell you that, you know, while it's great having, you know, millions of people on Instagram or whatever, generally the most money comes from your email list, right? And so the people with the biggest email list are generally the people who are making the most money. For me, I think I right now I have like 1.3 million on YouTube. I haven't checked for a while, to be honest. On Instagram, we have like around 350, 400,000. On Facebook, we have like 800,000. That means literally nothing because Facebook pages are no longer, you know, valuable at all. And then, you know, on our email list, we have almost 2 million people, which is, you know, by far the most powerful kind of thing that we have. Anything that we put out, right, we can instantly reach, you know, 500,000 people, which is just pretty insane when you like think about how many people that actually is. And then we have like, you know, TikTok and, and Pinterest and stuff like that. I don't even know what we have on that, but we like publish, you know, content consistently on it and, and do reasonably well, I guess. Got it. So two questions on this then. So it looks like you probably have a team posting for all your social channels, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I don't have any social media at all on my phone, like zero, literally. Got it. And so how is that team structured? Cause I think a lot of people are looking at like, let's say a you or a Gary V or anybody else, and they know there's a team behind it. Right. So how's your team structured for that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've learned a lot from Gary Vee, right? Like, I mean, he released like a content engine strategy or something like that. I forget exactly like what he calls it, but ultimately, you know, we reverse engineered like what the most popular people with the largest teams who've thought about it the most, you know, how many times per day per platform are they posting? What type and style of content performs the best, right? Like in our particular niche. And then we find the people that we think are the best. Like, who do we think is the best on YouTube for podcasts? Who do we think is the best for, you know, Instagram reels? And then we kind of look at those people. We look at their editing style. We look what type of videos 
that they create. And then we try to create content that's, you know, similar or better, or, you know, just our own experience related to that content. And we try to publish, you know, the same number of times and things like that. And so, you know, we've reverse engineered success, you know, over the past four years, and it's always worked really well for us. And, you know, I think that anyone would be foolish not to look at what works and then use it to their advantage. Yeah. No need to reinvent the wheel, right? Yeah. Cool. So, Around the emails, are you mostly buying the emails via ads? Like, how are you collecting emails? Because two million is is huge, right? So, yeah. So, I mean, so I've been spending like anywhere from like twenty to thirty thousand dollars of my own money, like every day. And you know, we've spent more and less, obviously, but generally about you know twenty five thousand dollars a day of my own money on ads, like for years. And so, you know, when you do that, you get thousands of opt ins every day. And it just kind of like starts to add up. And then, you know, of course you get emails and opt-ins from social media and YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all these different sources. And so, you know, when you're doing that kind of like always, all day, every day, 24 hours a day, you know, it really starts to add up. I love that. Guys, I mean, scared money don't make money, right? So two more questions from my side, actually three, I lied. So Miami, talk about Miami for business because I've actually gotten in debates with Neil, my podcast co-host. And he's like, you know, there's not a lot of people in Miami, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like he's trying to convince me to move to Vegas, right? And so, so you know, what are your thoughts on Miami for business? How has it been for you? I actually have such strong opinions about those two particular cities. <laughs> Vegas is like the worst city ever, in my opinion. Like, you know, and that's not to say that Henderson or all these, you know, I'm sure people will like send me a bunch of like awful text messages or, or DMs now that I said that. But Vegas is just like this mecca of like concrete and like partying only and like has no semblance of nature or like beauty or water or oceans or like the things that I personally enjoy. And, you know, much love and respect for Neil. He's been so successful and continues to be. But I would argue that you shouldn't make a decision about where you're going to live based solely on business, right? Because like there's a lot more to life than business. And so like I would never say, oh, like, well, there's not like enough like population density of entrepreneurs for me to consider living there. Like that's not how I make a determinate choice. What I would argue is you want to live somewhere that makes you happy, right? Like identify like the things that actually make you happy for me it's sunlight, you know, it's, it's proximity to the ocean, it's nature, it's water, right? It, it's nightlife, it's culture. And Miami to me has all of those things in a very unique way that no other city in the USA has. Like Miami to me, even if the income tax thing didn't exist, which it does, Miami to me is the best city in the United States. Got it. You were previously in what, San Diego? Yeah. I mean, this is going to sound stupid because of what I just said. So I own a house in San Diego that I actually just got my first offer on. We're selling it right now. But then I moved to Las Vegas for six months and one day just for like the tax reasons. And then that's kind of when I fell out of love with Vegas. And then I, once I was like ready to really pack up everything, which took a lot longer, then I actually moved to Miami. Got it. I love it. Yeah. I'm totally with you on Miami. And so last two questions, favorite business book. My favorite business book, I mean, like there's like the classics like Shoe Dog and things like that that are like much more story based, but like the book that most impacted my business, right? Because like before, I think everybody gets in this weird habit where they like have to have meetings all day to feel productive, right? And I did the same thing where I was like working, you know, Monday through Sunday, all these seven days a week for like 12 to 16 hours a day on social media, constantly responding to everything, doing everything, right? And then I read a book called Measure What Matters, which kind of like, 
you know, instead of micromanaging people, you give them more freedom. And when you give them more freedom, they kind of embody that freedom and, and kind of take it to the next level. And so now I only do meetings and I only film content on Mondays, right? So like my Mondays are 16 hours, but then Tuesday through Sunday, I have no meetings, right? This is a very rare meeting for me because because your team wanted to do it on Thursdays, but I have no meetings. I take no calls. My schedule is completely empty. And that like allows me to have like the creativity and the time to read and to think about the future and what I want to do and strategy and, and meet people and talk and things like that. And so this is a really long answer, but the book is called Measure What Matters. And that made the biggest difference to my time my energy, what I spend my time doing in my business that had the biggest impact by far. Yeah, it's a great book. And those of you that don't have time to read it, there's a great TED talk from John Doerr, the guy that wrote it. Just go watch that and then get the book. And what is your favorite business tool, man? Yeah. And, and I'm going to touch one, one time on what you just said, right? Because like not having enough time to read a book that can save you like unlimited, infinite amounts of time for the rest of your life is like the wrong way to think about it, right? Like there's a quote that if you don't have five minutes to meditate, or if you're too busy to meditate for five minutes, you should meditate for 10, right? And so it's like, you know, if you think you're too busy to read a book that will ultimately give you way more time and make you less busy, you have to reframe how you think about things. And my my best business- oh, there's a There's a follow-up to that one. So Naval Ravikant says this, right? So if you're going to re- listen to an audiobook, that's like juicing, right? You lose all the nutrients, right? So there's balancers and there's levels to all of this. I just wanted to add to that, but go for it, Kevin. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I'm invested in Naval and, and Kamal's rolling fund, which has been an exciting little trip meeting them and, and getting to learn from them. And I read a lot of Naval's stuff, like his blog about happiness and, and you know, how to get rich and all of those different things that he's written about are, are totally worth reading. And so you asked what my favorite business tool is. So like my favorite business software for sure. And the only business software that I actually use is called Basecamp which is maybe like cliche or, or boring, but you know, I have 200 employees in my base camp, you know, virtual assistants, editors, sales, video, social media, right. Project managers, software developers, all beautifully organized into, you know, projects and teams and our to do's are there, our company wide announcements. It just really is like the holistic tool and it's only $97 a month, right. For unlimited users. And so for a team our size, it would have been like $1,400 a month on Slack or something like that. And so, you know, it just makes perfect sense for us. It's a beautifully simple and really, you know, high organization tool that was a game changer for us. I love that. Well, Kevin, this has been super awesome. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah. So the best way to find me online probably is to message me on Instagram. It's at Kevin David, or if you like podcasts, you know, we just had this really awesome, sexy and, and humble guy, Eric, on our podcast that we'll release hopefully very soon. So you can find us on iTunes. It's called The Kevin David Experience. And hopefully you like it. We do a lot of the same stuff that Eric does. I'm sure your podcast is better, but just a, a second one that, that you can add to the repertoire if you do like business podcasts. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.